Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. We'll start from the back as we always do, but there isn't too much to observe. Exhibit C, oil is behaving great, but this is very unusual with a total amount of surplus capacity, maybe three and a half to four million barrels. That oil going up is very unusual, but it's happening. So that's the expression, don't fight the fate. Natural gas, totally opposite situation. Natural gas can't get much lift because as you see in exhibit B, the supply exceeds the demand. And I'll probably update this this weekend to take the production in 23, average production from 101 to 102, because it's averaging 102 year to date. So it's going to be higher. And then I guess 24 is going to have to go to 103. So the demand numbers are about the same. What's happening, you know, is that everyone says that LNG demand is the future, but LNG demand comes on at the rate of a couple of bees a day per year. And demand and supplies going up faster than that. So I'm sure there's $4 gas out there, but probably 25 rather than 24, which is what the strip says. And you know, it may even be 26. The spending authority, the U.S. government runs out September 30. It's just really irresponsible because the discretionary spending after all the Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid interest in defense is at least 500 billion more this year than it, and, and projected for next year than it was in 2019. And all they're working on, even the most conservative members of the House, is reducing the spending by about 100 billion. So, or 20% of that overage. And it's just not going to work. The, the deficit Think of it this way. The U.S. government is going to have to finance $1.5 trillion deficit. At the same time, the quantitative tightening is going to require replacing about a trillion dollars of government bonds. The Fed balance sheet got up to nine. I think it's down to seven and a half to eight, but it's got to come down a trillion dollars a year. So $2.5 trillion of government securities is a, a lot to sell. And I think that accounts for long-term interest rates being higher than would be ideal. And and it will, it, put it this way, it's not a positive for stock market. This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Top Mark Capital. If you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative emerging manager, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. And now, back to the show. Our conclusion at the end of our conversation last Wednesday was, are there companies 
that can make significant progress, like double their free cash flow in the next five years. And the two we came up with were Tesla, which is on page one, and NVIDIA, which is on page three. And unless Mike and Jason have come up with uh, a fourth one, the other one is one that Mike and Jason have, have worked hard on and own, but it's kind of a specialized situation. It's on page 16, which has a collection of companies that kind of face the consumer, you'd say. It hasn't been updated since late July, but it's McDonald's and Starbucks, Chipotle, and Celsius. Now, Celsius is is definitely going to have that kind of revenue growth, more than that kind of yep, revenue growth. The question is, can you bring it down to free cash flow? When I pulled this together at Data's July 31st, had revenues of a billion one a year and free cash flow of 200 million with a capitalization a lot more than that. I mean, something like you know, 80 or 100 times free cash flow. But with that, uh, Jason, just so our the people who listen, either in, in person now or, or later, stay aware of how to find good companies. Why don't you just explain how you and, or you, and then you and Mike became aware of Celsius. So we'll have everyone be on the lookout. Over to you, Jason. Sure. I, so it boiled down to just keeping your eyes open as you're going about your daily life and, and shopping practices. So it, it kind of brought to my attention early days in the pandemic and I was walking to the convenience stores a lot and the local convenience stores started carrying this drink called Celsius Energy and noticed it in the cooler and then noticed it was getting purchased kind of a lot. I started seeing um, people at my, my local gym drinking it, which was interesting because you, you wouldn't assume an energy drink is like a pre-workout drink, but the younger folks at the gym were, were doing just that. I was fortunate enough to have a gym that stayed open through the pandemic since it was on the rooftop of a building here. But just noticing that and then noticing it gaining more space in the retail stores, I started talking to the all the cashiers that I would encounter and asking them about the sales of this drink. Initially, it was like, oh, it sells good. And then eventually the answer started turning to, this is our top seller in the convenience store. And that's when we, we really started to pay attention to it. San Diego was an early market for them. So we were fortunate to catch it early because of that. The early This company was based, Celsius Holdings is based in Florida. And Florida, Southern California, where there are two early markets, and then I believe some parts of Texas. So just seeing the adoption as it grew organically here, I didn't see any marketing um, at the time. So it was, it was word of mouth, and it was gaining a lot of traction. You'd start seeing it, you know, people drinking as they're walking down the street, that kind of thing. So that's when we started paying attention to the company and, and looking at the growth numbers there. And, and that's how it got on our radar. Just keep your eyes open. I worked at Red Bull early on, and I knew that was a very profitable company when I worked there. But the real corollary is Monster Energy. And that's been an incredible investment for people that were in early on that company. Generates a ton of cash flow. And the hope here would be that Celsius runs a similar playbook. Yeah, so we, we started watching it in 2020, and we watched it for years before we purchased it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. And the valuation, I mean, it was expensive in 20, it was very expensive. And we got to a point where we could get comfortable with the valuation earlier this year. Was it, was that after Pepsi? Uh, yes, that was the big, because we, we kept saying, well, this is good, but it's not great until they have a distribution deal. And Pepsi basically said, we're going to make this our primary energy drink product. And that has worked very well. I mean, to date, they're growing faster than expected. It's going to take a while to fill the whole channel. So we'll see where it goes. We'll have some new data probably next week. In terms of revenues, to see this thing go from something in excess of a billion dollars of revenues to four or five billion of revenues wouldn't be all that out of line as compared to what Red Bull, which is still private, and Monster have been able to do. I suppose the question then is, can they maintain their margins and bring it down to cash flow? Yeah, so that's a good question. We actually, they're still, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, they're still working through, during COVID, they had supply constraints and they had to essentially overpay to get uh, cans and various ingredients. So their margins actually are not as good as we expect them to be. Yeah, they, they just... I think this past quarter worked off the last of their the aluminum cans that they had to get shipped in kind of emergency style from overseas, and they, they overpaid for those. So as they're going back to their domestic can supplier, the margins have been improving. At the low point, their gross margin was 41%, and now they're back up to 48 And then they believe they'll achieve similar margins as Monster Energy. We kind of agree with that fact, and, and that puts them in the mid-50s. And then relative to Monster Energy, we think the total addressable market, the customers that they actually sell to is much larger than that of Monster. Monster is sort of targeted at a younger, predominantly male customer. Celsius has you know, their average purchaser, I think, is about 35 years old. Monster's average age of their customers in the early 20s. So relatively speaking, we're talking about a much larger and much more affluent uh, market in general. The other half of that is that uh, female drinkers are half of their customers, which uh, is significantly higher than that of Monster. So what we what we saw in sales is until recent until this quarter actually, uh, the whole energy drink market was growing. So sales of Monster and Red Bull were continuing to grow, and all of the the people that watch the beverage industry are saying that. Um, Celsius is bringing in new customers to that to that field. You know, maybe they were coffee or tea drinkers, and, and now they're trying Celsius energy drink. Um, just this quarter, we're starting to see Celsius growth accelerate, while Monster and Red Bull sales are are declining sequentially a tiny bit. But so then maybe they're taking market share there now. Well, now we need a fourth company that can have this kind of growth. And I didn't rehearse this at all with Mike, so Mike and Jason are totally unprepared. But if you turn to page 15, Vertex, which they spent a ton of time on, and I've spent fairly limited time on, but one place you can get this kind of an uplift is when you have a significant medicine, drug, what have you, approved. And so I began to think if looking over the 70, 80 companies, however many there are, and, you know, 
where might there be a fourth one that could, you know, double its free cash flow in five years if Vertex got their pain medicine approved, even though Vertex is a pretty large company with ten billion of revenues and three billion of free cash flow, still that big a market where the alternative is pretty unattractive, there there would be that potential. That being said, you know, the these trials take forever and oftentimes you wind up rather than a promising new business, you wind up eating a lot of costs when you have been able to get approval. Vertex on its own at 20 times cash flow or so may be a good investment, but if you're looking to have Vertex turn into that kind of a situation, it's probably, or you say, Jason, at, at least a year or two off in terms of trying to get their medicine through approvals. Yeah, probably just a year. So we're expecting to see results from their CRISPR therapy. Well, we've seen the results. We're expected to, to get the FDA's decision probably within the next month. And then the, the pain medication, the trial, the, the phase three study for that should finish before the end of this year. Fortunately, there's no shortage of, of people in acute pain to test this drug on. And then the study only looks at a patient, I believe, for two weeks. So they get the active drug for just a few days. And they'll be able to, to fully enroll the study within months um, and get initial results out by the end of this year. So the FDA's got this on their you know priority list, if you will. And, and they'll make the decision sometime next year because Vertex will, will no doubt try to get the, their new drug application in, you know, in the first half of the year. So, so to answer the question, could they realistically double free cash flow next year? We're not expecting that, but the incremental revenue from those two drugs next year could be north of $2 billion, depending on when they get their approvals. What slacker belt does the CRISPR product try to address? Sure, it's uh, sickle cell anemia. So it's a, a CRISPR therapy to replace the bone marrow cells and, and generate healthy red blood cells in the patient. So it's, it's a cure for sickle cell and not, not just a treatment. Right. And is that primarily an international sale, do you think? No, no. So they have a network of, of clinics in the U.S. already lined up, and they're doing the same in Europe. It's primarily affects African-Americans, and then the Indian population is actually quite large that it affects and and Hispanic as well. So so yeah, then what are we, 32,000 people in the U.S.? Yes, that's what we're modeling for 32,000 in the U.S. And the treatment's going to be quite expensive. (laughs) Obviously, a a cure, a a gene therapy cure for uh, a debilitating disease, yeah. It's sort of monumental. And when you think about gene therapy and the potential for different gene therapies, they potentially wipe out entire classes of drugs, if assuming they work, right? And theoretically, the cost of this treatment will be much less than the cost of supporting that patient over their lifetime. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like the pain medication better, less cost, <laughs> tens of millions of potential, uh, potential users of the medicine. 
Absolutely. We, we do too. But um, I guess maybe because the, the gene therapy treatment's closer to approval and it's, it will be the first, you know, one of the first CRISPR therapies to be approved. It's, it's what everyone's looking at and, and that's what get, gets all the press as far as Vertex's pipeline of drugs. Mm-hmm. But, but we agree. We, we see the, the pain therapy, the non-opioid pain therapy as the, as the bigger thing. Right. Yeah, we felt like you kind of got that for free with the valuation right. where we entered. Right. 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 To switch to uh, GPUs, what does the Amazon investment in Tropic mean for NVIDIA? Because in the announcement, they seem to imply that large language models will be run on uh, Amazon chips. Or to put it this way, is it a crack in NVIDIA's moat? Well, in a way, right? We, we talked about this before and that one of NVIDIA's biggest weaknesses is its inability to supply the demand. The flip side is Amazon needed a customer. Essentially, they, they, they needed to pave a path. And they were working through that with another group called Hugging Face and a number of others so that models would be run on their platform. Amazon did a fantastic job with their data center architecture and all the services that are available to it. And they want to do the same thing in AI. So I think they are more than willing to move slower and not be locked into NVIDIA's system. So this is just one step along that path for them. How about the the implications I mean, Google was already, the Google trial was already underway. Now the FTC is going to take on Amazon. The commentary from people who own Amazon, cover Amazon, seems to be make our day, you know, (laughs) have them break the company up. They'd like to own Amazon Web Services as an independent entity. Any other commentary on whether makes Amazon more attractive to own or less attractive? I don't see any result out of the FTC suit that pulls out AWS. You know, their complaints are really around how they treat the sellers, the fees they charge the sellers and and trying to coerce them into using their fulfillment network. So if anything, maybe the the result is that their fulfillment center and delivery network is, is kind of a separate business. But I think that's pretty extreme as well. Do you, do you have opinions on that, Mike? Or, uh, I mean, it, yeah, I think, remember, it's a suit by the FTC, which has lost a lot of credibility of late. One thing they did that's similar to how they presented the Microsoft Activision case is, in that case, they they very narrowly defined cloud gaming when looking at that acquisition. And in this case, they've basically narrowed down the Amazon website the as that market for superstore e-commerce. And I just, in, in my opinion, I just have a hard time thinking that Am- the Amazon marketplace is the monopoly in online e-commerce. You know, there's, there's a lot of other channels that sellers go through, Shopify, Walmart, eBay, and the likes of that. So saying that there's, there's a monopoly there on e-commerce and that there's consumer harm, I think is a big hurdle for them. You think they have to... After Trump's speech in Detroit tonight, to compete with Republican primary candidates speaking in California at the Reagan Library, you think after Trump's speech, you're going to be a happier owner of Tesla or 
or less happy. I, I would think probably happy on it because I assume Trump in front of an audience of UMW people is going to say you'd be in much better shape if the government wasn't so active providing tax credits and other incentives for people to buy EVs. Yeah, I don't think it really matters either way. <laughs> Tesla's so far ahead of the other automakers that with or without the subsidies, it just changes you know, as much as the subsidies benefit Tesla, removing them enhances their lead. It, it doesn't matter whether they have a Democrat or a Republican as president. Tesla's uh, sort of the only game in town there. You think the comparison of what a Tesla worker makes and what a UAW worker makes is, uh, is fair? Well, no, because at, at a high level... Remember, Tesla's automating a lot more of the manufacturing process. So they're not measuring the salary of the engineers that are running, designing, managing the higher level aspect of the automation process, where at Ford or GM or Stellantis, maybe that's a more manual process. And they've got guys on the line that have been there for a long time that are in the union that are making relatively high salaries. So... It's not, it's not a pure apples to apples comparison, but I've seen the number. It's Tesla's at like 43-something an hour average versus, versus I think, Ford was in the 60s. I've also heard there's, there's stock grants for the Tesla employees. I don't know how that's true at that level, but some of the anecdotes are that, you know, they're not taking that into account. Hmm. Right. How do we find... If we think that Vertex, especially with the pain medication, might be a fourth situation where the free cash flow goes up a lot, two or three times in the next five years, how do we find if, and and let's say, let's just say that Vertex is conditioned on pain medication, making it through the approval process, how do we find number five, do you think? Where do we look? Keep turning over rocks. <laughs> what we do is we typically find a theme and we start researching a theme and hope we can find something interesting within a theme as far as a business or business model that's structurally set up to win. I, I can't say that we've got a new theme that we're really happy with lately. What we spent more time on, and I guess has been on more merger arbitrage related stuff just because the spreads are available. Uh, a lot of those have tightened up because I think the market's come to understand that Lena Khan and the FTC are less of a threat than they um, seem to be. So that thesis sort of played out, which means that we have to start looking elsewhere <laughs> yet again. So uh, I think energy grid stuff, we've started some work there, but never came up with any interesting investments yet. I would, I would love to find something in that space because likely next year will be a difficult year for the California energy grid, especially as people continue to transition to electric vehicles. So that's a call for uh, suggestions. If anybody listening <laughs> finds something interesting, we're, we, we want to look. We may have to establish a prize for number five, whoever comes up with it. Oh, I like the idea of that. I think the only other macro thing I'd mentioned, Mike and I talked about this this morning, there 
there's kind of an alarming article in today's Financial Times newspaper. It might have been yesterday's digital edition. And it has to do with the repo market and the use of the repo market by hedge funds to to take positions in interest rate futures. And I've got to go back and read the article more carefully. Mike and I talked about it. I just had a conversation with Paolo Nosquad, some you know, fair amount about this. But basically, the way the transaction works is that you acquire, if you're a hedge fund, you acquire U.S. government securities, use them as collateral for a in the repo market, which is an overnight lending market. It's very large. And then uh, the proceeds of the loan are used to buy interest rate futures. And as the interest rate futures mature, you take your profit. As they mature, you repay the, the loan again that you take in the repo market. Now, the problem with the repo market is it's an overnight market. There have been a couple of occasions Back in the fall of 08, then in the fall of 2019, and in March of 2020, where the repo market, which generally trades at you know just a small premium over the Fed funds rate, all of a sudden went up by you know eight or nine hundred basis points because people got spooked, and then the Fed comes to the rescue. But those those are alarming events when they happen, and so it's it's just something to keep an eye on. In, in March of 2020, there was this huge drawdown in everything. And then the Fed came in and more or less said, you know, the famous words that Mario Draghi used to hold the U together, you know, whatever it takes. But it's a, it's a worthwhile article to read. And Mike and Jason and I will continue to kind of monitor that. I think in these 30-minute sessions every Wednesday, if we find anything that's interesting to observe, we will. And with that, everyone, be well and stay healthy. Talk next week. Take care. The views expressed on this podcast are the host alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information, and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned.
Thank you.